watchers in the fourth dimension. I could believe I would, if only to get away from people like you. Your resignation, Chip. All ready for signature. A time loop is its um. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And this is, I presume, one of your food animals? This episode, we're heading into the glam era of Doctor Who with the extremely colourful The Claws of Axos. But first, as is now our custom, a quick look at the mail that's come in since we last got together, which is in the hands of Julie. Over to you, Julie. All right, we did get some general feedback, and we have Frog Goat Force View, I guess. I, that's a long name. Keep it up, time team. Thank you. That's what we try to do. And then for Inferno from MWV email, I'm in the middle of your podcast of Inferno, but had to stop when Julie asked if you were supposed to recognize the leader. Well, he was Jack Kine, a visual effect designer for the show, but TARDIS Wiki has a few things to say about his character. Yeah, and I looked this up, so you don't have to, friends. Basically, some of the expanded media has suggested that he's actually an alternate version of the Doctor and was one of the other faces that could have been chosen at the end of the War Games. So when he got exiled to Earth, he basically took over. Instead of being kind of a friendly, benign scientific advisor, he becomes a dictatorial leader, which, you know, kind of cool, but not really my thing. That's the gist of it. Wonderful. Moving on. Bill Lamont had to say, shipping Stallman in the drillhead? Lols. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Then from Troy Hunter via Facebook, loved this pod, guys. Made me rewatch Inferno and rediscovered how cool it is. Pun intended. Uh, I, hey, puns are wonderful. Leave them alone. Nathan Laws had to say, fun watch as always, and definitely agree that this is in the top 10 greatest two stories of all time. Sorry, Don, you're wrong. There's a sort of oh. bleak tone to the whole thing, even before the Doctor goes to the parallel world. I really love those scenes where the Doctor just goes up into those outdoor catwalks to talk to the Brigadier. Shots that were improvised on the day because they knew they'd look good. Everything is so overcast and dingy. It just helps sell that this isn't going to be a clean story with an all-around happy ending. I agree. Yep, that's why Anthony feels that way. David Campbell, imagine if Big Finish had done a two-brigadier story with Nicholas Courtney playing good cop and bad cop in a unit investigation into the unknown. Would have been much more entertaining than the two brigs encounter we got in Modern Undead, I guess the pronunciation. Yes. And I don't know it because it's... A long way from now, Brigade Leader was a great villain, totally brutal and rotten to the core. And then J.M. Casey had to say about the monsters, mutants, primords. I love them. There's the body horror aspect that Anthony mentioned. There's the animalistic quality, the sounds they make. They're like post-Romero zombies, almost in the way that they're presented, but they don't have the bite you, just touch you in order to infect. I remember as a kid thinking there should have been more explanation for them, but now, no, I think it's great as it is. Doctor Who, especially the original series, has a tendency to explain everything, possibly to an excessive degree from time to time, so it's nice that this is something different and more horror-based. It's hard to disagree with that. Yeah, I can understand that. I didn't necessarily need the explanation for it, but I think a few of us might have disagreed there. 
I'm feeling personally attacked by this mailbag. <laughs> Not by the mail itself, but by the person reading the mailbag. Okay, it's fine. Yes, I am doing it, Don. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. And then on this season seven retrospective, we have Mark Baxter. I can't get the image of the TARDIS console in that garage out of my head. It's as if the third doc <laughs> has taken it out for a month, saying it's only got three million years on the clock. Q fans <laughs> frantically adding up the total coverage of time travel years over the last 58 years. We're calling you to ask you if you're interested in extending your TARDIS's warranty. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, then we got Glenn Jones. We could have had one or two extra stories that series if they'd shortened the three seven-parters, which were all too long. I think we all agree there. (laughs) Yep. So... And then Keith Burton, it was very interesting to see Silorians rated as the weakest story of the season. My opinion of the broadcast episode is always tainted by their comparison to the novelization Cave Monsters. Hulk gets to pare down the story and famously gives us backstory for many of the humans in Silorians. Well, I mean, if I read the book, I might like this better. Me too. I like the idea <laughs> of the Silurians a lot. But yeah. Certain elements of the execution weren't as good as they could have been. Oh, uh, that soundtrack. <laughs> you don't get that with the book <laughs> you you do if you sit on your keyboard <laughs> all right and we're done with the mail thanks everyone awesome thank you julie as a reminder we love to hear from our listeners so if you'd like to get in touch you can email us at watches 40 at gmail.com or you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at at watches 4d and with that Onto the Claws of Axos. For this story, our writing duo, Bob Baker and Dave Martin, who quickly became known as the Bristol Boys, because they both lived in Bristol, became writing partners in 1968 and developed a sitcom pilot called A Man's Life, which was about an army recruit. While it was never made, the script ended up on the desk of Doctor Who script editor Terence Dix, who was impressed with the writing. In early 1969, Dix gathered the production team, including himself as well as producers Derek Sherwin and Peter Bryant, along with assistant script editor Trevor Ray, and they met with the Bristol Boys and asked them to submit a story idea for Doctor Who. Our intrepid duo concocted a six-part storyline entitled The Gift for Patrick Troughton's Doctor. It was enough for the production team to ask the pair to get working on scripts. Of course, with the change from Patrick Troughton to John Pertwee, changes were soon needed. By the time that the Bristol Boys submitted episode one in April 1970, new producer Barry Letts was not impressed and immediately rejected the script. Dix quickly called them into a meeting, and by the end, the Bristol Boys received a commission for a highly revised version of the storyline, now to be called The Friendly Invasion. In this new storyline, the pair emphasised the idea of aliens appearing to be friendly, but secretly plotting to destroy the Earth. When they submitted the next version of the story breakdown, the production team still found it to be, well, really just a jumble of random ideas. At this time, Dix committed to working closely with the two in order to make sure that something workable could be presented. Over summer of 1970, they were also asked to incorporate the master into their scripts, something that particularly frustrated Bob Baker as he did not believe that the character would fit into the established storyline. Still, they found a way to make it work. At this time, the story's title was changed once again to The Axons, and its length was pared back to four episodes, much to the joy of everyone on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
By the time the script for the first episode was formally commissioned, the title had once again reverted back to the gift. Dix made the suggestion that the interior of Axos should be organic rather than man-made, that it should drain the life out of the surrounding countryside. It was soon decided that the serial would air in third place of season 8. A quick side note of the Bristol Boys, before we move on to the rest of the behind-the-scenes crew. They work together on a total of eight stories for the show together, and Bob Baker will also write one serial on his own. They introduce a fair amount of lore, and are actually the team who are responsible for introducing K-9. On his own, Bob Baker will go on to authorise a standalone K-9 spin-off show, as well as to be responsible for writing four out of the five Wallace and Gromit stories. Anyway, back to the Claws of Axos. Assigned as director, we have Michael Ferguson, who is making his fourth and final outing on Doctor Who. He had, of course, previously directed Season 3's The War Machines, Season 6's The Seeds of Death, and Season 7's The Ambassadors of Death. Joining him as designer is Kenneth Sharp, returning to the show having previously worked on Season 4's The Macro Terror. Sharp is the first person to have the privilege of redesigning the TARDIS console, as by this time, the original was now badly damaged after seven years of service. Working as costumer, we have the second appearance of Barbara Lane, who had previously worked as co-costumer on The War Machines, and of course we once again have Dudley Simpson providing incidental music, for better or for worse. As filming began, the serial's name was once more changed, and it became The Vampire from Space. Location recording was highly impacted by variable weather, including a snowstorm, dense fog, and then finally bright sunshine, all within the space of a week. Ferguson ended up having to ask Dix for additional dialogue to be added to explain the weather, and Corporal Bell was given a line about the arrival of Axos prompting freak weather conditions. The weather was bad enough where Katie Manning very nearly suffered frostbite owing to the thin boots that she was wearing, and also required additional makeup to hide her chilled complexion. Now, of course, the serial went through one final title change before being broadcast. Concerned that the vampire from space might draw connotations and unfavourable comparisons with the output of Hammer Horror and its vampire films, the story was renamed to The Claws of Axos. This was so late in the day that a title sequence with the vampire in space as the title was made, and actually still exists and is on the DVD. So, with all of that, we move on to our short summary, which is in the hands of Don this episode. Don, over to you. Are you tired of always looking for the right element? Are you sick of animals that are just too darn small? Well, worry no more, because those days are over thanks to new Axonite. Axonite is a new miracle element that can absorb, convert, transmit, and even program all forms of energy. How you ask? Shut up, that's how. Ask your government about <laughs> Axonite today. Axonite is not for use on all planets. Use of Axonite may result in premature aging, disintegration, or your planet being devoured by a spaghetti monster and their flying sphincter ship. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right, let's discuss the story. Episode one. Creepy spaceship floating in space, showing monsters in the first minute. You son of a bitch, I'm in. I agree, except I also completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, but I would have preferred if they had kept their real form as a reveal later on, like at the very end of the episode. Because when they first come in, you already just know they're up to no good. And I kind of yeah. would have liked that trip, but I really like the design. The design is wonderful. It is really impressive considering how at times when you see the long shots of them, 
they actually look worse than when they do the <laughs> <Yeah>. close-ups of <laughs> them, which is shocking. It's usually the other way around, but very impressive for those close-ups. I mean, I think the way they zoom in and out on their grotesque forms early on, it's very effective, but I agree with you, Don. I think it would be much better as a reveal for later. I was just excited that it's like real aliens and they're really bizarre and out there and they went for it. They really did. Yeah, and even the model work for the ship was pretty good. Yes. This is getting back to some actual alien fantastical elements to this show. Since the Doctor's been stuck on Earth, we're, at, we're seeing something that lights our imaginations on fire instead of being stuck in a prison with prisoners for a couple episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we get it for four episodes and then get still disappointed. But we'll get there. Oh. <laughs> let's, talk wow. about, let's talk about Mr. Chin. I think oh he oh has God. no idea what's going on, but I really do like the character. He is unlike our typical horrible bosses in that he is a horrible person in authority, but he's also really stupid. And he's just a general <laughs> grovelly kind of middle management type. And it's a, it's a change up. It's a good change up from what we're used to, which is the more the cantankerous, shouty, I'm afraid of losing my power kind of thing. Yeah, but that's because Chin isn't a bad boss. He's a different archetype altogether, that of the moronic bureaucrat. He wants yes. to be a bad boss, though, but everyone knows he's bad. <laughs> Even his yeah. boss before he even has a chance yes. to screw up, his boss is just like, oh my god, you suck. You are so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, trust me, that reputation continues into the expanded media too. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> also, what I found interesting at first, I was like, oh hey, they're treating classified information correctly. And then I was like, oh wait, no, wait a second. They just announced in front of somebody that they have classified information in front of someone who doesn't have the right access to access that classified information, which shouldn't be happening. Exactly. Uh, they were trying and they did a halfway decent job and then it just kind of, you know, it, it doesn't help that I know about this stuff. <laughs> but we did get a name drop of Errol Flynn and that made me so happy because Errol Flynn is the best Robin Hood. Which brings us to our other character, Bill. Bill Filer. Filer. Question for the Americans on this podcast. How do you rate his accent? Better than so many other American accents that we've gotten. I agree with Julie. This is better than we have heard in a long time. I think the real question is how do we rate his sideburns? <laughs> <laughs> I think his sideburns are awesome. Oh. They're threatening to take over his entire head. <laughs> 8.5 expansive sideburns out of 10. <laughs> I really like Filer as a character. I like that they brought him in not just as a random American, but as someone who is trying to find the master. And I find that an interesting take and really fun that he got kind of pulled in and that's how they used him. That was kind of cool. I also thought they could have used one of our existing characters to do a lot of the same stuff, but he was a good character. I think it makes sense to have an American hunting for him after the events of the Mind of Evil and the Peace Conference. You've got a big international mm -hmm. peace conference. The Master attempts to blow it up. Well, it kind of makes sense that the world's largest superpower at the time want to find the guy responsible. Well, they also went after that American bureaucrat. The American oh, the ambassador, yeah. Yeah. And also, switching out Bill for another character might be kind of difficult because... I like the fact that Bill is our person in distress. They didn't use Joe. They no, no, I meant character like character for that part. Okay, go ahead. No, no, not Joe. I would have used like, you know, Yates or 
Oh, one, one of the, the not, the not the brigadier, one of the other units. Yeah, one yes. of the unit people okay. we don't that don't really get a whole lot of screen time. Okay, yeah, that would have worked. It makes for an interesting dynamic having our unit crew plus Chin plus Bill, and you know, Chin and Bill clearly oh. dislike each other from the get go. I like that dynamic, and that's why I'm really okay with it being Bill. I don't think you would get that if it had been Yates or Benton. I don't think you'd get that clash as much. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get all of the authority dick-waving that you have within this serial. Speaking of which, one of my favorite moments is when they've seen the object coming through, and the brigadier is saying, hey, why don't you get him to the direct line? Just basically subtly saying, please get him out of here so we can work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what he wants to do almost immediately is nuke the UFO. Yes. What an idiot. Well, while we're talking about new characters, we can't miss the best character of the entire serial, which is the hobo. It's indistinct yokel. Yes. The character (laughs) is actually called Pigbin Josh. Oh, my God. Yeah. He could have been saying his name over and over, and I wouldn't have gotten it. I didn't understand a single word he said, and it was kind of awesome. But let us never forget the stately and noble music that it is accompanying to him. I call it the hobo theme. (laughs) It's the best music of the entire serial. That's saying something. I feel bad for him, and I'm going to jump ahead a little here, but once he gets pulled into Axos and they're assessing him, they describe his intelligence as being atypical and decide that he is valueless. Yeah, That's harsh. I feel so sorry for this guy. That kind of was a shock to see that character, but as you said, the yokel, it's third doctor. You got to get that yokel in there occasionally, right? Right. I know it was mentioned earlier about us being excited that Joe wasn't the one in distress, but what I'm sad about is Joe doesn't have a lot to do. No. That is true. She's active in this episode by disobeying people telling her to stay there and going there herself. But then after that, she kind of gets put on the sideline. But even then, what she does doesn't make any sense. And that may be a directorial thing because there's no way that she heard Filer when he was in Axos yelling. Because the characters that were inside couldn't hear him, but somehow she could. Yeah. I didn't really get a great reason as to why she left that area. You didn't get a lot of her reasoning. When the doctor said for her to stay put, she was just like, okay, she didn't put up a fight when the doctor said that. And then all of a sudden she's going out there. It just was weird. I think this episode is just generally filled with people doing what they're not meant to be doing. Phyla's sent away. He decides to go and check out Axos. You've got Chin just trying to nuke everything and being a moron. (laughs) Joe goes off to explore Axos on her own. These people really have issues doing what they're told. I think it's time to discuss the iconic... I mean, we talked about the spaghetti monster, but we should talk (laughs) about the iconic Axos look, the the gold on gold, gold member look. (laughs) I have things to say about this. I think what's being shown here is you've got these incredibly flashy creatures coming in promising wealth and abundance and it's like ooh, the shiny new thing ooh, consumerism don't be fooled by it and that's what this story is fundamentally saying with the axons and axonite kind of like fool's gold yeah actually if i could remember correctly the scientific term for fool's gold i'm pretty sure it ends in an ite it's pyrite it's like axonite yes. pyrite there mm-hmm. it is so the connection there i'm just glad that the axos appear to believe in dance belts that's good <laughs> <laughs> You don't get that in Star Trek The Motion Picture. (laughs) 
One thing I do have to say, though, is that having that gold makeup on your face must have really sucked. Oh, yeah. Plus, those things over the eyes. I don't know how they could have seen anything. They probably couldn't. And then we end with Joe confronted by the spaghetti monster. Hold up. Before we even get there, we get everyone being brought into Axos and they're scanning them. And this is where we get plus one to the Pertwee gun count because (sighs) as they scan him, things start getting real trippy. And Pertwee's there doing his thing. I do have gurning (laughs) written in all caps on my notes. It'll not be the last. No. (laughs) And we get the reveal that the master is in there. Oh, of course. Yes. Which I loved, and I loved that it was Bill who found the master, and the master's just like, I'm going to do everything I can to convince Filer to be my friend, and that he needs me. And I'm like, of course, because master. Julie, did you know that he was going to be in this? No. Okay. No, I did not. But it does not surprise me. I just sat there and I was like, hey, look, it's the master. Again. It makes sense. The funny thing (laughs) is, he could have actually tried to hypnotize him and you will obey me. But he didn't. He just actually tries to convince him the old fashioned way. And I just love the fact that he stuck there because he got caught. Because he did his usual thing of like, I'll trick these people and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, Master, you try too hard too fast. He doesn't play the long game very well. He does not. Before we move on as well, let's talk about the promise which starts in this episode. So we get a ton of CSO, which actually in comparison to Terror of the Autons, I think was necessary here because you're depicting a really strange alien spaceship and it kind of works. Yeah. And that helps with the frog demonstration. <laughs> they could have done it a little bit better. I mean, there was so much fringing and they've even, yeah. they even did it better in this same episode, but there were a few questionable moments. But yes. yeah, yeah, it's good. And, you know, that really pushes the story forward because then you've got Chin saying, we must have it and shit about unlimited power and all that good stuff. I think that's a key scene and I don't hate the CSO here. It could have been done better, but it serves a purpose. It works well enough. Yeah, it's a product of its time. I'm willing to let it go. It's fine. It it didn't disturb me at all. You go in with expectations. You're not expecting it to look beautiful. Yeah. See, that's the kind of right. stuff that doesn't bother me. They're going for the effect of the frog getting mm-hmm. bigger. It's when they've CSO'd someone in front of a background that they clearly could just have shot them in front of that background, like out yeah. a garage yeah. door. That's when it bothers me. Completely agree. All right, episode two, since Riley's already covered the cliffhanger. Which the cliffhanger gets kind of (laughs) dismissed because the Axos (laughs) then basically go to the doctor and the rest of the crew and do the whole, I can explain. She is a crazy woman who is seeing crazy things. Don't listen to anything (laughs) she says. (laughs) And Lethbridge Stewart's immediate reaction is to tell her off for disobeying orders and trauma be damned. (laughs) Christ. I just got really frustrated (laughs) with Joe is while she wasn't the damsel in distress necessarily, she just did a lot of yelling and like being disoriented. And I was just not thrilled that that's what they really relegated her character to. She was very Susan-y in this episode. Yes. I was not happy. Now, one question I did have was that you have Bill Filer and he's shooting at the nerve or whatever, and no one hears those gunshots? Nope. But Joe can hear Bill crying uh-huh. out earlier. Yeah. yeah. I have lots of questions. I blame the Axonite. It affects the audio. I think that scene is hilarious, because you've got the master telling Bill where to shoot, 
and his initial reaction to the master is go to hell mm-hmm. and then he shoots anyway <laughs> i think he's kind of got it in his head where it's one of two evils it's like i'm stuck here and to be fair if he kind of knows where i need to shoot that's helpful i want to talk about chairs here again <laughs> no i don't want to talk about chairs <laughs> although there is a pretty cool chair on axos later but that's beyond the point. Let's talk about Chin. So he's got this attitude of Britain for the British. We're going to keep Axonite all to ourselves. And it's so weird because it's clearly the wrong thing to do, kind of. If it's something truly benevolent, but it kind of ends up not causing the end of the world because of his nationalistic (laughs) impulses. It was the right thing to do for completely the wrong reason. (laughs) going to say one last thing about Chin is how in the world does he have any sort of power? Yeah. Like any amount of it. It makes no sense to me. He's awful. That's what when he arrested them. I'm like, under what you know charges? What grounds are you doing this on? Yeah. He brings in the regular army to do that. And the captain is legendary act Tim Piggott Smith, which I thought was really cool. I, I hadn't realized it was him and that he was in Doctor Who when he was young. So I enjoyed seeing him there. Yeah, you recognize all these people and I never do. (laughs) The joy of growing up in Britain, I guess, and seeing these guys on TV just older. I don't know. Uh (laughs) Um... (laughs) Uh-huh. Thanks, Julie. The sound you hear was the podcast crashing to a halt. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I had another question. Why does Joe care so much about what happens to Bill Filer? I think she likes him. Yeah, he's being set up as a romantic rival to Mike Yates, who we've already established doesn't really like women. And yet we'll never see Filer again, will we? No, we won't. (laughs) Okay, just making sure. It would make more sense because he showed her more attention than Yates ever does. I mean, I'm still saying she's wrong in all counts because she should obviously go with Benton, but that's besides the point. I just thought it was weird that she cared so much about what happened to him. I'm like, you met him that day. Why do you care? Well, you know, he's the dashing American with immense sideburns, which were extremely popular in 1971. And I guess my other comment here is Dudley Simpson. What happened? No one should have introduced him to a synth. It makes me very sad. At times it works. And at times I am convinced he just left the room and his cat walked on the keyboard. (laughs) And then he came back like, okay, that's fine. They'll go care. It sounds futuristic. Let's talk about the experiments that happen with the light accelerator. Is a light accelerator even a thing? I'm not a physicist. I've heard of a particle accelerator before. Yeah, I'm confused by that as well. I I mean, it's very clear throughout the entire serial that a lot of scientific ideas are explained. Well, let me rephrase that. A lot of scientific sounding ideas are stated, but not explained. Yeah. I wasn't expecting the regular earth scientist dude to start tossing out stuff about time travel we get a brief lesson on particle physics which seems strangely advanced for doctor who i don't hate it but it's just unexpected yeah back to that educational remit (laughs) so we have all of this stuff going on with the particle or light accelerator and we also have the master escaping and jumping on top of moving trucks and generally being a badass but otherwise i think to me this episode is relatively straightforward we get some pretty cool trippy effects as they duplicate filer and as the doctor sets off axos early Mm -hmm. i like the filer versus filer fight 
I did enjoy that. That was really well shot for back then. Like the editing was in the how it was shot was very, very good. Usually, at least my experience of watching 80s television growing up, when you would have a fight like that, where it's the same person fighting themselves, you could see like the hairpiece on the stunt mm-hmm. man that is fighting the actor. This time it looked really clean. I was really impressed with it. Yeah. I agree. I really enjoyed it. I liked how they did that. I liked the doctor trying to figure out which one was which and all of that. And it's like, are you sure it's you? And he like pats himself down. He's like, yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a good bit there. This is also where we get the return of an old friend, an old, old character for the show. And I'm, of course, referring to the infamous BBC phone machine. That's apparently yes. what happens to Axonite when you do something to it. That yeah. was weird. Yeah. Well, it is a learning whatever it is. I still molecule, understand that. Atom. Yeah, learning molecule, which I'm still kind of wrapping my head around that kind of scientific sounding idea. I think the whole thing, the only way I could justify that was it was complete and utter marketing BS, which is why I did. <laughs> oh, that's, right. that's why yes. I did my summary in that style, because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all. You're just trying to make them want it. So they'll move it everywhere. The 72 hour thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, that to me made sense. The foam doesn't, <laughs> especially when you've got really good effects like the interior of the actual yeah. ship, you've got you know all those different rooms. You've got the eyeball thing, and it was really good. And then you have foam, like oh yeah, that was really bizarre because it just didn't fit everything else. You then had the one person who touched the axonite, Windsor, yeah, his hand, mm-hmm. and he turns into a man crawling around in a bag, yeah, yeah, on yep. the floor. <laughs> I refer to it as a disgusting beanbag chair. <laughs> I said an axon sleeping bag in my notes, but yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. After he's called the doctor a stupid quack, which I thought was pretty funny, but yeah, you know, then he dies quickly for his troubles. So we end the episode with the axons bursting in after the doctors said that axonite could endanger the entire world. Cliffhanger and episode three. Poor Bill Filer getting hit with that tendril. It's like his only purpose in this serial is just get beat up and captured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, he took Joe's part. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's still a little bit better suited for Filer because imagine if Joe was getting like hit and beat. Like none of us would like that. No, but I would have liked for her to have had a slightly bigger role. Yes, I don't disagree on that front. Or Benton. At that point, that's when they repersonalize. And Don, I'm thinking if they had avoided showing the tendril versions of them right at the beginning and have this be the first moment that you kind of see the two directly correlated, I think you're right. That would have been really effective. I try to think of these things how I want them to go structurally because I like the idea of, oh, hey, these aliens have arrived. They just want a chance to recharge. They're going to kind of pay us for the trouble oh, it's all good. And then you get these small hints that things are going wrong. Like maybe instead of seeing our indecipherable hobo be killed, you just find his body near the ship and they touch it and it disintegrates. And that's weird. You don't actually see it happening. And just kind of build up this sense of tension that something's not right. But that's just me. I think that's partially because we had a script that was just too full of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, because we also have this nutrition cycle thing. And I don't know why, but just it being called nutrition cycle weirds me out. I mean, I get why it's called that. And I think it's meant to be unsettling. This thing is going to feed on the planet. It was called the vampires for a reason, right? I don't know. I guess the cycle part is really what gets me. I feel like it could. I don't know. 
It was the timing on it that got me all 72 hours. I'm like, well, you better make sure your axe knight is all over the place and there's probably a quicker way to do that than rely on the various governments of the world to get their act together. And rely on Shin. But that's why they've cut a deal with the master, because the master's going to go and cause all sorts of trouble, send messages to the UN, and make sure that it needs to be distributed. Yeah, but even then, you're talking about getting every government yeah. on Earth to agree to that. Master or not, there yeah. there has to be a better 72 plan. hours? Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, I know why it's there. It's a ticking clock to increase tension. Speaking of Chin being responsible, I love for the fact that he's been told he's got to figure it out. And the Minister of Defense who's telling him he's got to do it is like, yeah, here's your resignation <laughs> ready for you to sign because I don't think you're going to pull this off because you're an ass. Oh, <laughs> Uh, that was very enjoyable. Yes. I think maybe it would have been better if instead of, because I mean, my idea is that how the ship burrows into the earth like a parasite and they're trying to send the axonite, which is literally just other parts of the ship because the ship and its little spaghetti people and its you know gold people, all of it's the same. Therefore, why not, instead of having to be in every country, let's have just something like it needs to be in certain parts of the globe because that's all it needs in order to like mm. suck everything out or something. That would be my idea. And that would be more practical. We need to have it at Antarctica or all these specific places, but not every country on Earth. That's a bit much. Other things I didn't like were Filer's scenes in bed where he's thrashing around doing complete sentences. I wasn't sold on it. But my favorite terrible thing in this entire episode <laughs> is when the master goes to headquarters and his clever mask disguise is literally his own face. It looks just <laughs> yeah. like him. I thought that was amazing. And Benton falls for it. Yes. It, uh, oh, Benton. Benton, buddy. I love Benton, but he's not the smartest. No. He's and that's really not. That's why he's a sergeant and Yates is a captain. No, Yates is not that. In, uh, mm, mm, mm. It, okay, anyway. To me, it would be like if in <laughs> Halloween, when they unmask Michael Myers, it's literally William Shatner underneath there. <laughs> that was no. what it would have been I think that the master and his terrible disguises it's very similar to like a bit you would see like in a in some sort of skit comedy show where they're parodying a television series like he's the master of disguise but everyone can clearly see this just him wearing this horrible mask all the time <laughs> oh god he's no gene parmesan that's for sure no that's true that's yeah <laughs> The doctor has had the TARDIS brought to the nuclear research center because he wants to use it to experiment on the TARDIS like he did in Inferno. But the result of this is we get the master breaking in and we get the TARDIS console room for the first time since the war games. And the master Thank is disgusted God. by it. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's like, this is a mess and he's just so bad at this. And I just love that he just calls the doctor out on it. And he cleaned everything up too. <laughs> like nice guy master that's the new trope here <laughs> also in episode four he gets designated as being a mechanic like a specialist in yes. regards to how tardises work so that's probably part of where his disgust of how he treats it so was it exciting to see the interior again and did it help that feeling that this is still the same show no because at the end it, i got very disappointed I got a little bit of hope here, and then it got dashed. I think so. it's a step. Yeah. Because now he knows a bit more. It's potentially working, but it will drag him back to Earth. But mm -hmm. he did something in the TARDIS. 
So there's a little bit there. Exactly. Back to the Doctor, he's in Axos being interrogated and tortured, basically. You see him once again sweating, which is always what Pertwee does when he's being interrogated, apparently. And another plus one to the gun count. But that scene with them showing Joe aging, very unsettling makeup, very unsettling sequence, very creepy. That wasn't makeup. They found someone who looked kind of similar to her and kind of morphed her. Oh, they morphed her. Okay. Wow. And you just really hurt that lady's feelings, by the way. I know. If she was still alive, I would apologize. (laughs) Yeah, there's an interview with Katie Manning where she talks about how impressed she was that they found someone who found a woman with a scar in the same place that she has one on her face. Wow. Which I didn't even notice there was a scar on either of them, but whatever. Well, what I noticed about that aging sequence was compared to when we first meet Joe, her hair is so much better now. Oh, yeah. So much yeah. better now. So I know we kind of gone a little all over the place. There's one thing that I really want to point out. So we got some really awesome shots of the axons that are like roaming around the entire complex of wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. And there's that one shot of it on that walkway with lots of glass. Mm-hmm. So which of you guys is going to be dressing up as an axon for oh. Dragon Con and roam <laughs> oh. the habit trails? Any oh, idea how hot that costume would be? <laughs> Yeah, but it's bulky enough where you could strap ice packs to yourself. Or if you could do something like maybe the dinosaur, the inflatables. Yeah. So you get the girth there, then put the spaghetti everywhere. Here's the idea. You use the spaghetti and you put a fan in it and you're like a wacky inflatable guy. (laughs) (laughs) And so the fan will keep you cool. You got to have somebody else that's also doing the gold version of the accent. So you've got two things that nobody knows who the hell you are. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And then someone dresses up as the doctor and someone dresses up as Joe. Done. I nominate Riley to be Joe. (laughs) (laughs) There's four of us and we just described four characters. It works. Yes. I do want to give props to the direction in this episode. You've got some great effects going on as Axos are, uh, or is Axos are? Axos is? I'm not quite (laughs) sure what the appropriate grammatical way to refer to this. How to pluralize them. Yeah. As they're kind of torturing him, you see the head spinning and all that kind of stuff. That's really cool. You've got the power plant rampage that Julie just referred to and unit soldiers doing somersaults as they get hit with the tendrils. I think it's just really well directed and they're doing some interesting stuff here. I did want to know how they did that little trick where, where like the tendril goes goes out and then boom, right at the spot where it points to explosion. For something long like that, like a tendril to get it like perfectly lined up where you plant it in a, a small explosion. That's really good. And a lot yeah. of things they'll actually shoot it backwards and then play it, mm-hmm. you know, the other way. Oh yeah. I don't know how they Maybe. did it here, but I know that's what they'll do a lot of times. If you've got something that has to grab something else, they'll start it with it holding on and they'll film it letting it go and then reverse the film. I enjoyed those action scenes so much. And I would say the only criticism, and I mentioned it before with the Axos, is when they're outside, the spaghetti monster costume is too bulky. It's too fluffy. It should have been like a little thinner. They're chonky. Yeah, they are. They're a bit chonky in honor of the Yeti. They are a bit chonky. Thick. Let's talk about the master being the one to nearly save the day. That's unexpected. Is it though? What always ends up happening is something bad is happening and either the master needs to help the team or the team needs to help the master. Usually it's all mutually beneficial. So I'm not 
terribly surprised. And the master insults the unit team and everyone else a lot less than the doctor does. That's true. He yes. seems like a much better coworker, aside from trying to kill everybody. But, you know, everybody's got their flaws. I <laughs> adore his statement when the brigadier asks, is there anything we can do to help? And he talks about, you can take the usual precautions, sticky tape on the windows and that sort of thing. <laughs> that direct parody on what they tell people to do in the event of a nuclear attack. I thought that was so funny. I loved how he played that. I did also enjoy that Benton was the one who got to handcuff the master. So there's that. Yes, I pay attention to those things. Um <laughs> I really liked Elgato as the master. I really think he does a great job and he just has this charisma and everyone listens to him. I remember when we did Terror of the Autons, Julie, you were a little bit disappointed. So I'm guessing by yeah. this stage, he's really grown on you. Yeah, he definitely has. Especially when he's had more character growth than Pertwee has. So yeah. there's that. And we kind of see that. He's there ready to make the tough decision at the end. The Doctor and mm -hmm. Joe are still on Axos and the Brigadier hesitates on destroying Axos. And he's the one that says, either we destroy Axos or Axos destroys the world. Which is it to be, Brigadier? And that's basically our cliffhanger once we cut to Joe and the Doctor. That sequence with Joe and the Doctor just running through all of that was pretty wonderful. Although you really got a good look up her skirt, right? Like that, I wasn't just imagining that. Oh, wait, that happened? I don't remember that. What episode was that? Rewinding <laughs> back. What was, what was the timestamp on that? Slow mo. What was the timestamp on that one? Okay. <laughs> she wears such impractical clothing for what she's doing. That's true. You mean the escape sequence in episode four, yes. right? Where the doctor uses the power of maths to help show focus. Oh, not just that. He also has the cliched slapping the hysterical woman bit. He does slap her once. Did yeah, anyone else not see that? I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even gotten to episode four yet. I was still referring to episode three. <laughs> On to episode four, where the escape yes. attempt gets even more trippy. I realize we have listeners outside of the Metro Atlanta area, so this is a reference that people might not get. But did anyone think those sets kind of look like the small scare at Netherworld? Oh, you mean like the doorways? Yeah. I'm not going to say anything about because we're trying to keep this show clean. Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't have to keep it clean I can slap the explicit on her Vagina Okay <laughs> <laughs> Yes So yeah there's obviously the slap and the math And of course they get out Riley that was uncomfortable I agree it, Luckily you had to really study it To notice that it happened Like I actually had to rewind it two times Like did I see that correctly Because you had floating gold axis heads Over them You couldn't see and also it was in the background, not in his foreground. So it wasn't like an airplane level slap where he keeps doing it no. and then the accidents come in. <laughs> Shaking her and trying to like, <laughs> settle down, settle down. We move over to Hardiman, who is with the particle accelerator thing, I guess. Sir George. Yes, Sir George. And he puts on the gloves and he puts on the hood that just has the face open. Nope, nope. there's no, there's there's no protection. <laughs> nope. His nose Maybe is sticking out just... of it. Trying to avoid his hair getting caught in it? I don't know. He does not follow yeah. proper mask protocol. <laughs> I was so confused. It's like, I'm putting on all this protective gear, except my face is wide. <laughs> what? Number of days without a workplace accident. <laughs> Zero. He gets zapped, somersaults over the railings to his death, all that good stuff. I did notice he's another character who's wearing an old Etonian tie, so that old boy network is still very strong in the Pertwee era, very establishment. You gotta admit, his trip over the railing was very well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And he got a respect him. I mean, he put himself at risk and mm-hmm. he told the brigadier to get his men out of there. And it looked like he was about to fix it until bam. Because then, you know, the brigadier, he goes on his merry way. He meets up with Mr. Chin, who's randomly eating a chicken leg. <laughs> oh, that is so, so perfect. It is so perfect. <laughs> That is so perfect. That is just, I don't know if it was the director or the actor that came up with that, but that is so perfect for the character. I thought that was so wonderful. Just casually in a chicken's drum set. I wish he could have just like, after Hardiman died, they just would have done a hard cut to him like walking in with his mouth full going, hey, what's going on over here? I don't know what's happening. That would have been great. I really like that the brigadier kind of called him out on it. Oh, where have you been? Yeah. Canteen? <laughs> and I mean, the Brigadier keeps calling him out because Chin starts talking yes. about, well, Britain will get the blame for all of this. And the Brigadier just goes, Britain or you? <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. The Brigadier, he wasn't as involved as he has been in some of the other serials, but he had some really great stuff in this one. He had some good so. sass in this story. Yes. Yes. He was very sassy. We also have Filer and Joe talking, and he correctly is suspicious of the doctor. He's like, doesn't it seem like the master and the doctor are being a little bit buddy-buddy over there? And doesn't it seem like the doctor's doing something that he probably shouldn't be doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, good call. Yeah. He was good. And I think the way this is scripted, even we as the audience are led to believe the doctor is going to leave everyone behind and escape with the master. That's the Mm -hmm. way it's set up. It was as if the entire run of the third Doctor led up to that moment where he then tells everyone to piss off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the way he says goodbye to Joe, which is (sighs) doubles as an insult to the Brigadier, is perfect. He couldn't even resist being a dick right then. He couldn't have said, well, bye. (laughs) It was one of those things. There was a small part of me that was like, I could buy it. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was the one part of me that's like, nah, he'll come back. But I'm like... But he really could just do it because he's a dick. (laughs) And yet at the same time, he doesn't seem to realize that there are more places on Earth than unit headquarters. He can go. He doesn't have to stay there and hang out with people he obviously hates. (laughs) In parallel with all of this, we've got Benton and Yates trying to get back to the complex. Being besieged by axons, which is amazing. Being besieged by havoc. Benton pulls up Barbara. Yes, ah, he yeah, does. Yeah. It's my favorite action scene of the Pertwee era so far, to be quite honest wow. with you, was those two dealing with axons. It was wonderful. The cost for that Jeep is coming out of his pay, though. Yeah, though I do <laughs> love that the grenade and the Jeep over the cliff bit with the axon on the front hood. When the Jeep goes over the cliff, the grenade is in the Jeep, inside the Jeep, yet the first explosion is literally the axon on the top of the hood. It literally explodes first. It clearly has a Dalek-style self-destruct mechanism. That was a badass moment from Yates with the grenade. He's starting to prove himself. Finally. (laughs) He hasn't done much. But despite all that, the axons still get to the nuclear facility just as the TARDIS dematerializes. So they weren't that effective in trying to stave them off. That's true. But we have another classic chin moment as they're being overwhelmed by axons in the room. Right before he says, don't you think we should negotiate? (laughs) (laughs) I love him. I'm surprised he still wasn't eating a chicken drumstick at that time. (laughs) They should have moved him on to something else like nachos or something at that point. (laughs) Indeed. 
All right, let's talk about the Doctor's plan with Axos. His entire plan is just to get the TARDIS fixed. Yeah, although he very deliberately does send Axos into a time loop. I don't yeah, believe but, that was yeah. a spur-of-the-moment thing. I think a lot of it was. Because, you know, first of all, he's talking to that one guy whose name I have forgotten, the scientist guy, mm-hmm. trying to get him to take a look at the TARDIS. Then he's working with a the master. Then he's doing this. I think he just stopped them because he could. Yeah, and then yeah. he has to go back and fix shit, or not, because yeah. stuff blows up regardless. I don't like his motivations. I get it, Doctor. You're tired of being on Earth and you're tired of being here. That's fine. But the fact that they're putting him in this position where this is his only thing, it just... I'm tired. I'm tired, guys. Come on, writers. (laughs) Let him leave. Directorially, there was something I really liked was when he was putting him in the time loop. On the background screen, you had a dot moving Mm -hmm. in an infinity motion. Yes. Which I thought was cool and subtle until they ruined it by doing a close-up on it. But (laughs) despite that, I thought it was a nice touch. I thought that was a nice touch. Really good idea. I don't know whether that would have come from the director or the designer, but I really like that. I also really like you've got the control room attack. You've got them trying to fight off the axons. You've already zapped the accelerator, so it's going to continue to accelerate until it overloads. But as the doctor puts it into a time loop, you see the axons dematerialize and rematerialize in the TARDIS. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, the effects were good there. And I also like the shot of the doctor with them literally on top of him, like pinning them down on the the console. It's It's a disturbing but good shot. And it puts the doctor in a situation where, as Julie was mentioning, outside of the silly kind of torture scenes that he has gone through in the gurning that was him not doing any gurning he was literally up against it and he looked like he was out of it and that seemed a lot more sympathetic than shattering too much (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah another thing i thought was really sweet was as they were evacuating the facility joe still has some faith in him and says suppose he comes back I love that optimism in her. I think that's the best thing she's really had to do all story, which is pretty pathetic, uh, really. But yes. yeah, unfortunately, the escape and explosion scene here in this episode is tied to what is the peak worst music of the entire series. Oh. <laughs> it was amazing at what it was. <laughs> I can't remember how it closed exactly. I'm not that musically talented or anything at all, but I do recall that even the end of that musical bit lingered intentionally too long. I'm not too thrilled. Again, the best music was from our yokel, so <laughs> we're doing great. Thanks, Dudley Simpson. Hurtwee fans and Dudley Simpsons fans, we're making burgers out of your sacred cows. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I do promise, Julie, that at some point he does get back to kind of more traditional instruments. Oh, thank goodness. All right, so the Doctor comes back in the end, has to try and explain time loops to Lethbridge Stewart, which doesn't go well. Because he has a terrible explanation. That is not how you explain something. He's pretty certain that the Master is still with Axos, but we saw the Master escape. So we know he's gone on to fight another day. And that more or less takes us to the end, with the Doctor admitting that he didn't want to come back. Yet again, and yet again, he's still basically stuck on Earth for the most part, and it's tiresome. So I have a question for the team. Was this story, and particularly the Doctor, better than the previous couple of stories? Maybe? I think so. I enjoyed it. I I mean, I'm hoping they do something with his personality. 
because I find him just intolerably smug. But everyone else around him, even Chin, I enjoyed greatly. And Pertwee had a couple moments here and there too. So yeah, I like the story. Awesome. All right. Well, that's the perfect segue. Let's rate this bad boy. This time around, Julie, you're up first. Like I said, I did enjoy this story. It was short, succinct, to the point. The Axos is probably one of the better villain, one villain, multiple villains, what have you, because they have a clear plan on what they're trying to do. It's not this convoluted, out of the way, like, this is really bizarre. And I loved all the characterizations and everyone working together. The major down points, Joe did not have enough to do. And the music was just what? But otherwise, again, enjoyable. So I'm going to give it seven and a half half eaten chicken legs (laughs) out of ten. I love it. (laughs) Riley, you're up next. I played my cards right at the beginning of our recording. I loved it. I saw this many, many years ago the first time, and it was so creepy and freaky. I loved it so much back then, and I still love it watching it recently. The pacing, the monsters, the freakiness, and the master and the doctor together. It is a direct straight ride into a terrifying bad trip, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> my criticisms are the same as Julie's. Yes, if we had a good score from Dudley Simpson, this could have been so much better. It's a terrible score. Joe... We could have found something to do with her, something more. There was potential there. I know it's only four episodes, but come on, you can do something with it. Other than that, great moments, excitement. This time, even like the action sequences weren't too long. They were enjoyable. This is the type of serial that I've been waiting for for a while now with the third doctor. So I give it nine Willy Wonka's boat rides in Doctor (laughs) Who out of 10. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Don. I think most of what I would say about this has already been said, especially in regards to criticisms. The music is, well, it's there. I would have liked to have seen Joe be able to do more. I also would have liked a scene at the end to see Chin getting fired. (laughs) (laughs) I like to complete those arcs. And maybe at the beginning, hold off the action reveal and all that kind of stuff. But I really liked the design of the ship that organic interior. I don't think we mentioned it earlier, but I really enjoyed the voice of Axos because it wasn't another Dalek clone and you could understand it. And it was also creepily calm at all times. And I really liked that. So I liked it, had fun with it. I'm giving it seven and a half incomprehensible yokels out of 10. (laughs) Okay. And that brings it to me. And I agree with all of the criticisms Giving Joe basically nothing to do for the entire story was pretty disappointing. This is only her third serial, and to really leave her out on a limb like that is disappointing. And agreed on the score. The things I really do like is how weird this story is. It feels like the show is being experimental again in the same way that we haven't really seen since something like The Mind Robber in Season 6. It's not afraid to test new effects and give us something really trippy with all of what's going on in Axos with both the spaceship design, but then we get weird colors floating everywhere. We get Axon heads revolving on screens. It's very similar to what they were doing on top of the pops at the time with all of the glam bands. And I think it works really, really well. I think the action is really well done. And again, the plot makes sense. So I'm with the majority. This is really, really enjoyable. So for me, I'm going to give it eight and a half 
axon sleeping bags <laughs> out of 10, which gives us a story average of 8.13, so best of the season so far. With that, we are sadly at the end of our episode. We will be back next time when we finally get to head into space and another planet with a colony in space. But for now, as always, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, That Gold Member Look, was recorded on Wednesday the 15th of September 2021 and is dedicated to the memory of director Michael Ferguson, who sadly passed away on the 4th of October 2021, aged 84. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, this was the story where, just once, nationalism actually turned out to be good for the world. Strange times.